you know, I, I mentioned we have those goats and there are plenty of predators in the Ozarks that would be happy to gobble up those goats. And my eye is on them. They're my responsibility and they cannot defend themselves. And, and I think one of my charges for the parents that are listening and specifically the men is, I think there's a lot of, probably a lot of well-intentioned men that are listening to this podcast, but are we going to be well-intentioned men who are reactive or are we going to be well-intentioned men that are proactive? Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy Coleman, your host, and I appreciate you sharing some of your time with us today. We are going to be examining a practical issue, but one that is near and dear to my heart, especially as we think of the health of local churches, local churches that are standing boldly for Christ, that are reflecting His light in the communities and the darkness around them. It's a topic that I sense is neglected, not so much intentionally, but in many nations, the cultures around us do not emphasize this. And what I'm talking about is godly dads, godly men, and godly sons. I feel like in many Western nations in particular, like the United States, there's a pendulum swing culturally where not much emphasis is placed, not much spotlight is often placed on young men, on boys, and on cultivating their character and nurturing them. And we as the church can't allow that in our midst. We need to stand up and nurture and raise godly young men and godly dads as well. And that's why I'm really pleased with our guest, somebody who is very well versed in these issues in raising godly young men and encouraging and helping dads and families and churches to step up to their roles, and that is Shay Robbins. Shay Robbins is joining us. He plays many different roles. He wears a few different hats. I'm going to allow him to introduce himself more, but Shay, thank you very much for joining our program. I am happy to be here, Andy. Well, it's good having you. It's good seeing you again. I saw you a couple weeks ago, but would you just bless our audience and let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do? I'd be happy to, sir. I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. I'm married to my wife, Ashley, and God has blessed us with Six awesome kids. We have nine goats, 50 chickens, and a cat named Steve. <laughs> we live in the Ozarks, and we're living a dream together as a family. My career is at Canicut Camps. I'm a director, and for many years now, I've been working with teenagers and college students. You know, we use sports and outdoor adventures to invest the love of Jesus and disciple up next generation leaders. And so that has been my mission and passion for the last 16 years. And I'm also a part of our teaching team at Woodland Hills Family Church here in town. And I'm just really blessed to be able to get to do things that I love and, and to make a living doing it. And I'm very grateful that God's allowed me to do that. That's great. It's fun when you're right in the center of your wheelhouse and it's what you're passionate about and what you're driven to. And you see impact for the kingdom around you. That's wonderful. I've seen you on a few different occasions most recently was at a father-son retreat that was put on by Canacook Camps, which I took my youngest to, and I've taken my oldest to. So that's really been a, a great experience for my family. It's blessed our boys who are growing into men. That, that was just a fun but also impactful weekend. And I know you hosted that. You directed a lot of that, but you made it a really worthwhile event. And it was really a conversation or a, a presentation that I heard there that just queued up this idea that we on the Christian Emergency Alliance should have this conversation. We should think about this intentionally and examine how we can apply this in our own lives and families and churches. Just to refresh everybody, the Christian Emergency Alliance 
is standing to help the church withstand the pressures that are coming. It doesn't matter what country you're in, wherever you're listening today, the pressures might be very intense or maybe they're building. But across the board, the temperature is going up. It's getting hotter for Christians, less popular to be a Christian. And we try to assist in that way by helping with cases of persecution, wherever that happens, to develop and cultivate healthy theology, strong biblical theology, and also a missions mindset where the church is on offense, we have our eyes up, and we're going out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing that with our neighbors and communities across the globe. Now, how does that play into a conversation about godly dads, godly sons, godly men? Well, it's because we need good, strong, local churches all over the world, in every nation on earth. We need strong local churches, and you're not going to have strong local churches, whether it's a house church of 10 or a larger church in the West of thousands, without strong, godly men. So we need to speak into that. We need to encourage one another in those roles, whatever, as parents, as grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to have this conversation, particularly, like I said, in the cultural context where it's become less emphasized, almost overlooked in some schools and some communities, and we just need to be intentional as Christians. That's kind of me setting the stage. You know, I have seen references to like toxic masculinity and these kind of dismissive descriptions of being a man and all of this. And we really want to unpack what it means to be a godly man. I'm just going to throw it at you, Shay. Why Why is this an important topic for the church to not neglect? Mm. Well, I've heard it said, you win the men, you win the war. And I kind of buy into that. And, and in, in no way does that diminish women. In fact, I think... I think the emphasis for me is on men because so many women are really doing a great job of walking with the Lord, leading, stepping up, cultivating godly homes, and perhaps men are lagging behind. And I, and I think, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. And, you know, I know you have a very diverse audience and, and probably in different cultures and different environments, the pressures are different, but you know, by and large in the battle that we're in, I just think the enemy's doing a great job of distracting men, distracting with a career, distracting with politics, being distracted with uh, building our own empires. And, you know, I think in large part, you know, just in my world right now, like sports is, has become an all encompassing focus. It is, it is the God of kids that are growing up in, in high school academics. And there's just all these distractions and and I think as the church, we need to rally men and inspire them and equip them to just do a great job with, you know, the disciples that God's put in their place. One yeah. of the reasons I'm passionate about father-son discipleship is because I think it is the fastest path to God-ordained discipleship. If I want to stir some discipleship up, I want to stir up some dads. So there's great opportunity there. There is, and it's true. There's so many distractions in the world today around us, and we can get into that a little bit more in a few minutes. But it, it just is a great reminder that we can make idols out of anything in our lives, and we're prone to. Our hearts are idol-producing manufacturing plants. Sports, grades, you know, your academics, your careers, these, these other things, those are great. But when we place them in positions of the ultimate— then we've gone off the rails. Now we have a problem. And that's actually why I really enjoy the father-son retreat that you direct. And it's because it, it forces dads and sons to push pause. You have to push pause. You have to relax and just spend time with one another. You can have a lot of fun. As you guys joke, we can eat a whole lot of meat and barbecue. and That's right. <laughs> You know, just laugh and relax, but also build in intentional time of discipleship and, and time together, because otherwise we can just get so wrapped up in our schedules or these things that might be creeping up as idols in our own lives. And it's just a great opportunity to step back and kind of pan the lens out and see what you're doing with your life, see what you have in front of you with your son, with your child. At that event, you taught from a passage in First Samuel. And it was the David and Goliath passage from 1 Samuel 17. 
as many times as you pass through it, that is just still one of the greatest chapters to read. There's so much to walk away from. And I was thinking how to integrate that into this discussion. I was going to take out like, you know, just do like four or five verses to set the stage for our conversation. And I couldn't. So I'm just going to read it so that everybody has the context of of what we're going to be discussing. If you're a newer Christian, this is a great story. Get into it, get in the Word yourself, and just digest it. I'm going to read verses 1 through 50, so hold on to your hats. I'm going to try to get through this. But I'm reading from the ESV, and this is the story of David and Goliath. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man and we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in this wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, 
and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So it's a lot in that chapter. So many different areas we can go. And that's another reason why I just wanted to read it for our audience because it just might get the wheels turning in their heads just all that God is sharing in that account, you'd use that as the backdrop for a presentation about sons and the challenges that dads can have with sons and and cultivating their sons. But one of the things that you led with was that teenagers are blessed with the gift of audacity. What did you mean by that? You know, one of the cool things as you read through scripture is God uses young men in radical ways. And you see it over and over again. It's kind of amazing when you do a case study. And not only that, he also gives young men visions. And, you know, especially in American society, we can poo-hoo teenagers and roll your eyes and talk about all of their shortcomings. But teenagers haven't been beat down by life. And as a result, they have a God-given courage and audacity to do things that the rest of us are, are now unwilling to do. And you see that play out in David's life. He's a teenager. We know that. And he came from the wilderness and the entire army of Israel was scared to death, the king included. There was no man that was willing to step up against this Philistine. And up walks this cocky teenage boy <laughs> right. You know, right out of the wilderness and you read the story and I just have to ask myself, what prepared him for this moment? Like how, how did he have that kind of courage? And the thing that has recently popping out to me, and I've read this hundreds of times, but, but when he goes to Saul and Saul looks at him, he says, you're not able to go up against this warrior, you know, and, and David's response, this is what he said, your servant was tending his father's sheep. And I just think that's so powerful. What are we supposed to be doing as godly men? Are we supposed to be building our earthly kingdoms, filling up our bank accounts? Are we charged with loading up our resume? No, I think, I mean, if you look at the Great Commission, I think it aligns with what David was doing. It's your servant was tending his father's sheep. You know, who has God put into your life 
that you're supposed to steward. For parents, it's easy. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Our sons and our daughters, that's the flock that God's put in our life. And we've got a responsibility to raise them up. For those that don't have kids, or perhaps they're grown-ups, adults, and off living their own life, God, God is still calling you to multiply, duplicate yourself. Who is it? Is it the, the waiter that waits on you at your favorite restaurant that you see on a weekly basis? Is it uh, a kid who's lost his dad, you know, that lives down the street? Like, who needs you? And, and then you kind of see, like, the role of a shepherd play out. Watch what David says. He says, when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. And, and we live in a world, Andy, as you well know, that's full of lions and bears. Yeah. And it looks different. In Afghanistan, the lions and bears are carrying AK-47s. In the United States, the lions and bears are behind the screen or waiting at school or attacking you for your political or religious beliefs. Yeah. We all, we all live in the same broken world, but the lions and bears are going to come. It's almost like you know that they're there. The lions and bears are there. They're going to be facing them. They, they have to come from wherever they are. They're there. It's a known commodity. That's right. First Peter 5.8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And as a shepherd, we have to have eyes for that. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned we have those goats and there are plenty of predators in the Ozarks that would be happy to gobble up those goats. And my eye is on them. They're my responsibility and they cannot defend themselves. And, and I think one of my charges for the parents that are listening and specifically the men is I think there's a lot of probably a lot of well-intentioned men that are listening to this podcast, but are we going to be well-intentioned men who are reactive or are we going to be well-intentioned men that are proactive? What I see in my world working with teenagers is I see a lot of well-intentioned dads that get distracted from the flock that they're supposed to be shepherding. And when a lion and bear comes up and inflicts wounds they come running and then they've got a mess on their hands to try and clean up and fix where there's a better way to go about parenting. And that is to be proactive, to yeah. put up the appropriate fencing, the appropriate boundaries, to be present in the darkness, to bring them into the barn at night, to lock the door. You know, there's just all these ways that that we can be proactive with our flock. And, and I think that's probably one of the biggest calls of my ministry towards daddies is to call them into a proactive nature of shepherding up their kids. You covered a lot of, of material right there. I loved your description of teenagers having audacity because like you said, we can roll our eyes at teenagers and we can relate to other parents who have teenagers. It's almost like we're in this club together and we're having to endure challenges together. But in a way, that audacity is good. You look at that audacity, you're like, wow, they have courage and a little bit of spunk, some grit in there. That's not bad. We need some audacity at times. Even if we've gone through the gauntlet, even if we've gotten grinded up a little bit, we need to have some grit. We need to have courage to step into situations so you can almost look at that and be like, wow, that's still there. That can be cultivated. That should be cultivated. I'm reminded of a, a book by a man named Douglas Wilson called Future Men. And, and he talks about this, you know, with littler boys, with kids, but that sometimes boys can drive their parents nuts because they're, they've got so much energy. They're jumping off the bunk beds. They're perched on the back of their bed and they're about to fall and as parents, we can, our temptation might be to kind of squelch that, to suppress that and, and try to force that out. When we step back, though, we realize that that audacity, these characteristics are good characteristics that God has blessed them with. And as parents, we do have to steward that well. Like you said, that term stewardship is so appropriate. But as parents, instead of squelching, we'd be like, okay, son, okay, kid, I see what you're doing. You're a little wild. You're a little crazy. Let me show you a better way 
to direct all this energy. Here's here's how you can do this more appropriately and better. Absolutely. Um, your description of audacity fits right in that mold. So I really like that. And you're right. Our roles as godly men, as dads, is that of a shepherd. It's interesting in this case, we're reading in 1 Samuel 17 about a young boy who is already an experienced real-world shepherd, and he's taking those experiences that God has given him and seeing this challenging circumstance that's frightening men, grown men, warriors themselves, and he's seeing it through the lens of God's provision and an upbringing in his life already, which is interesting. That's that's a lot of wisdom for a teenager. I absolutely think you're right as well when you describe the need for proactive dads. That's really one of the goals of this podcast is that there could be some men listening to this right now or wives or anybody, grandparents, friends, be like, you know what? We do need this in our family. We do need to invest this kind of a perspective in others. So how can I prepare now? How can I go about boosting myself, my abilities, my chops a little bit so that I can serve in this way? In, in a bigger frame, that's really what the Christian Emergency Alliance were trying to do. We're trying to be proactive in preparing the church for pressures that are building and coming our way, and we don't want to be reactive. Uh, we know that if you get blindsided by persecution, if you get blindsided by a hostile event, you may not have thought it through. You don't really know how to respond in a godly manner. You just know that you're disoriented, turned upside down, and you're struggling to figure out what's going on. But if you know what's coming, if you've prepped a little bit, if you've heard some context from others, that's just so helpful. So that's what we're trying to do in a big picture. For the purposes of this conversation, we're really drilling into how this affects boys and men in our midst. Did you ever read a book by Philip Keller called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23? I believe I have. I feel like I can picture the the cover. It's a short little book, and it was written by Philip Keller, who grew up as a shepherd and he just unpacks all this language that you would get if you knew what it was like to be a shepherd. It's very helpful. So for any in our audience that haven't read that, short, easy read. And in fact, it's a great read for if you have a few men. If you want to get together once a week and go over that, it's a, a great way to really develop one another. We will return to the podcast momentarily. But first, a word from our sponsor. Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast, like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe. That is the church. The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at christianemergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.christianemergency.com. And now, back to the show. So on the proactive side, when we're talking about proactive dads, did you have any other thoughts on that? I do. And, you know, I think generally speaking, dads, we don't want to protect our kids from every battle that is coming their way. We want to prepare them. And in order to prepare, you have to be proactive. So here's an example. A lot of the statistics that we're seeing in our little neck of the woods is that that boys are exposed to pornography at the average age of, of nine years old. So first exposure. And so, you know, as part of our, our ministry, we interview college students and we hire thousands every single year. So I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews over the years when I see a, a man or a young man that I'm impressed with, I always ask him, how'd you become this way? Right. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about that investment. And I had one young man who said when he was nine years old, his dad took him on a trip and taught him the birds and the bees, taught him about uh, biblical sexuality, taught him about pornography. And the Monday after that weekend trip was the first time that somebody in his class 
introduced pornography to some buddies and he knew in that moment to run. Mm. And I believe he was 19 when I interviewed him, a 19 year old, he never looked at any pornography. And that's, that's rare. I do meet him out there, but you're talking about maybe one to 2% of solid Christians have not been exposed based on just my real world experience. And, and so with my son now, I'm, I'm thinking ahead. I want to be the first one to introduce him to this. So for me and my son in October, he turns nine. I'm taking him on a, a black bear hunt up in the mountains, the Appalachian mountains. And strategically, I'm going to get out in front of this thing. And we're going to spend the weekend in the quiet without the cell phones, hunkered down in the middle of the Appalachian woods. And we're going to talk about everything because I want to be the one to prepare my son. Yes. I know he's got a battle coming his way. There's going to be many lions and many bears, but I want to get him equipped. Yep. And that's just one example of all the nuance of, of a young man growing up, but that's the way that I want to think about it in regard to being proactive. Yep. Well, that's so good. And it's a good reminder that our children are going to be discipled. The question is who's going to disciple them and what are they going to be discipled in? And you're right. As a shepherd, you get ahead of that power curve and you start speaking and investing in their lives early. And I think studies will confirm that a lot of these bears and wolves are coming sooner and sooner in our children's lives. So we can't presume that it's going to be later. I can just push this off and uh, address this down the road. Sometimes you need to step up a little bit earlier than you think. When we looked at this account of David versus Goliath, you mentioned three descriptions of David. You said that David was aware, David was swift, and David was accurate. And really that, in a way, these are three descriptors that should color the role of a shepherd. And those are descriptors that we want to instill in our sons, in our children. You also mentioned that the older that our kids get, that we as parents have to phase from more control to more influence, and that that can be a delicate balance. And that by, you know, by the time your kid's going off to college, you're really in the role of influencing them and trying to just help them and, and guide them. When they're a young boy or a kid, there's a little bit more control in place. I thought that those two things, the descriptors of aware, swift, and accurate, and that spectrum of control versus influence is, is very helpful. With that in mind, go into a little bit more depth of what it means for shepherds to be aware and how does that play out when we're impacting our kids and impacting our sons. Much like being a great husband, if you're going to be a great husband, you need to be a student of your wife. And I think it's no different with a son or a daughter. We need to seek to understand them. And I think a challenge for me as a daddy is that I need to become a better listener. Yes, I know more than my kid. Yes, experience. But I need to create a safe environment where my sons and daughters feel comfortable to talk about everything. There's too many taboo subjects within the home. And I believe that's the devil's work because if God gave me my son to be the most intimate male relationship in his life, we better do, or I better do everything as far as it depends on me, everything that I can to create open lines of communication to truly know my son, how he's feeling, what his emotions are, what's hurting him, what's scaring him, what's he's nervous about. Like, I want to understand him. And if I can understand him and then understand the context that he's growing up in, I become aware. And ultimately, we all need the Holy Spirit to kind of guide us through that process because it ain't easy. It's, it is difficult. There's no one, two, three step guidebook to being a great dad. We need the Holy Spirit, the helper to guide us in that process. So that's, that's the awareness piece. Yep. I think that awareness is is critical to just forging those relationships, deepening those bonds. Um, and also, yeah, just being aware of you're, you're going to be able to dial into what are some of the bears and wolves that they're wrestling with. You know, we've talked that anxiety is really the fruit of a lot of the things that are they're encountering right now, 
whether that's through these cell phones, um, the media that they're exposed to, or some of the influencers. You know, for our audience in the Western nations, yeah, the technology's everywhere. You can't escape it. It's really a constant assault. There's a lot of people that have professional careers designed to try to make content as addictive as possible and just keep them on there as long as possible. You have some pretty radical influencers out there trying to grab a hold of kids' attention. And in other parts of the world, you know, you may be sitting down with your boys and your kids, and it's really unpopular to be a Christian. They're coming from a Christian family, maybe in a a Muslim-majority context or other nations. It's just frowned upon to be a Christian, and your kids are exposed to that a little bit. But I want to point this out. That's becoming true globally. Even in what you might describe as the the Bible Belt of the United States or other areas where traditionally it's been smiled upon to be a Christian. It's been good for uh, business if you're a businessman. It's been applauded if you're in school. Those days are pretty much gone. They're drifting away in, in many sectors. But it actually helps us as Christians, regardless of where we find ourselves, relate, I think, better to one another. It really does dispel the myth that there are our type of Christians and those types of Christians. There's free Christians and there's underground Christians. Really, we're all one family. This is the spiritual family of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. And as parents, we're going to be dealing with these challenges and and helping our, our boys and our girls walk through them and navigate them. They're going to be nuanced and different, perhaps in some ways, but we've got a lot of commonalities in store and we can learn a lot from one another we could sure benefit from the context that we have to provide one another. So that was to be aware. What what did you mean by to be swift? Well, we see the way that David responded to adversity is inspiring. I mean, he made a, in two different occasions when he was walking down the battle, he, he ran, he ran to the battle line. And then, you know, when I go to the context of that shepherd role, the closer the shepherd is to the flock, the more swiftly he can respond. Yeah. Again, I, what I've witnessed over years, you know, we kind of run a triage. Our ministry does a spiritual triage and many young men and women are coming in here and they're wounded and their parents don't even know. The shepherd is unaware that their son or their daughter is wounded. There's others that got tossed around with like a rag doll and, and dragged off before their parents came in and the damage is significant. And then then there's other situations where you see a mom and a dad or a a shepherd that was close and was able to respond swiftly and minimize the damage and mend them and lead them back to help. I'm just challenged to be that kind of dad. I want to be close enough to my kids to where I know what they're going through. And I know when they come home from school and they're discouraged and in the busyness of life wants to pull us away and distract us from that responsibility. Well, that was really good. I think that's helpful for us. You also described that David was accurate, that shepherds are accurate, but that this is a hard one, that this is a challenging one. What did you mean by that? It is. Well, his stone found its mark and I got to believe under the pressure of battle, the reason that stone found his mark, I'm sure he put in his reps. You know, when you're out there in the, in the desert as a teenage boy, you're dorking around a lot and there's nothing better than just sling some stones. Sure. <laughs> and so he got in his reps, but at the same time, here's the other piece that's more important is that I believe that God's spirit took hold of that stone and put some extra energy behind it and place it in just the right spot to crush the skull of the giant. And so it's a two-part piece. I think as a parent is number one, we need to be educated. We need to study both our kids, but we also need to be equipped with good community, good resources. We need to know God's word. It needs to be written on the tablets of our heart. Uh, We need to be in relationships to where we can get wisdom and counsel as you walk through and navigate those difficult areas of life. And at the same time, in order to be accurate, we've got to walk by the spirit, by spirit and by truth. And even with all those things in place, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, there's going to be messy parts, but that's what war is. 
and and truly that's the charge as a dad like i want i want to be ready and when when the lions and bears come i want to respond swiftly and with accuracy to shepherd and steward my kids when uh you're describing that you you describe walking by the spirit for accuracy and how you respond what came to my mind is just prayerful and i found myself as a dad uh, with both my my sons and my daughter sometimes i just have to lift up one of those lightning strike prayers in a situation for accuracy how do i respond to this properly and effectively and it's a one second lord give me wisdom help me to do this well something that fast but just tapping into the spirit and just going to him and praying for for help and being accurate you mentioned that it's holy spirit territory to be able to respond with accuracy in these types of situations as a as a shepherd in western nations maybe even in in nations around the world parents are under a lot of pressure to kind of relinquish control over their kids maybe give them that smartphone pretty early uh, maybe just kind of tune out to what they're checking on, what they're watching, the apps they're using, and that that can have some devastating consequences. But on the flip side of that coin is you could, like you said, not really have them struggle or do anything, but really kind of hover over them for far too long, and they never really grow out of that mold. They haven't really struggled and, and figured things out for themselves. Yeah, that, that is, like you said, it's Holy Spirit territory, and you know, again, the way we think about it in our in our church and in my community is we're moving from control to influence. It's super important that while kids are under our roof, that we allow them to walk through hardships so that they can grow in spiritual and emotional maturity. Those are the biggest crashes we see when kids go off to college is when they're not emotionally prepared. Their knees haven't hit the ground enough within their home. They've been saved too many times. And so I think what I see is we've got it backwards. We're way too quick to give them a smartphone and to give them infinite access to the internet and to 8 billion people. And we won't allow them to drive on the interstate or to change their oil or to go camping out in the woods. You know, those may be silly examples, but I just think that as we think through that process of releasing, like, where can my son or daughter struggle in a healthy way and experience success? And, and where am I putting them in danger where the bears and the lions have the advantage? And so for me, with a teenage boy, to hand him a, a smartphone, to give him full control and to think that He's not going to find his way into pornography that will poison his sexuality and his marriage for a lifetime. It's foolish. It's not fair. The lions and the bears have the advantage there. And so, you know, as we're making those decisions against Holy Spirit territory, we need to begin to kind of think through that. Where can my son or daughter experience success as I let go of control? And I think we just need to take a microscope to, you know, those different areas of life and ignore what's socially acceptable, what their friends are doing, you know, what you're seeing generally in society or on TV, but to think through in my home with my son, with my daughter, how am I going to lead them to success? That's really good. Your points made on all that is, is helpful. That's good insight for us to chew on. As we're wrestling with all this, I want to put this out there too. Another reason that I think this topic is very important is because of something that I observed a lot when I was working in the Middle East, and that was the church is changing. The church is going to look different, I'm convinced, going forward than it might look today when you're looking to your left and to your right especially with the people that are coming into the church, converts, people who are following Christ. And I saw this in the Middle East when people came to Christ out of a Muslim background. That was a different type of a church setting in the same way that I think as pressures are going to be building in the rest of the West, people are going to be asking ultimate questions. They're going to be coming to faith through that pressure, but in many cases they might have some rough backgrounds and they're not going to be like immediately discipled. 
I remember when I was walking through a village in the Middle East, in the Arab world, I saw a family getting into a car. The dad was not happy with the boy, and this was a crowded area, and he just really smacked this kid, like hard. That can happen anywhere, but what was interesting is in that context, in that community, nobody blinked an eye. That was a really harsh area where that was just kind of normal. I think that there's going to be people that are new in faith, whether in the Middle East or in other parts of the world, that they've got some baggage. They've got to walk out of some stuff. They've got to really learn how to be godly men, how to be godly dads. And I think it's our responsibility to keep our eyes wide open to our most important charges, like our boys, but also to those that are coming into our churches. And and I'm speaking even to myself. It's easy for me to be around believers and even new people coming to church or that I'm meeting And I can be blinded to a lot of stuff, but I need to have my eyes and ears open to the men, uh, really to everybody around us. But in, in the context of this conversation, to men that might be struggling to figure any of this out, they may have come to Christ a day ago and they're, they're lost and they feel it and they feel vulnerable. They feel maybe like a fraud and they shouldn't be there because they, they haven't done a great job. We need to be aware of some of those opportunities and just lean into it, almost just to own that situation if we discover it and help them through that challenge. Um, I think that's going to be a pattern that continues to play out in the Middle East and other parts of the world. It's going to be a pattern that becomes, I believe, more prevalent here in the West. So, Shay, I listed just a few short takeaways from what I gleaned from your conversation, your presentation at the Father-Son Retreat. If you want to listen to them and add any or flesh them out more, but any other perspectives or thoughts that you have, you could just wrap that up. But here's a few for our listeners that are out there. We need to be preparing today proactively, like Shay said, to raise our boys and to be aware of the opportunities in the churches, the Christian circles around us. Just like I described, there might be some that really need some help and grace. They might need to run under your wing for a little bit or vice versa. Maybe you're a new believer and you need to find somebody that's just going to be that disciple, somebody that can speak some wisdom, truth, and perspective into your life. I think as men, as dads in those roles, we need to look for opportunities to learn, to read, to grow in our knowledge of these topics and these challenges. There's a couple books that have blessed me in this regard. There was one called Point Man that was written by Steve Farrar. There was another book that really blessed me called The Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. If you haven't read those, those are rich in wisdom and and good direction. I think we need to also be very intentional, like Shay said, about proactively thinking through how do we model being a Christian dad? How do we do that? How do we want to do that? To love on them. We have to carve out time with them. And it's okay to be overt in your faith. Pray with your kids. Uh, Spend time with your kids learning scripture, even if you're new in the faith and you don't have it all figured out. Just spend that time with them, and that's going to reap rewards and pay dividends going forward. Last but not least, and this is really going back to the father-son retreat at Canacook that that Shay directed, uh, schedule dedicated time with your sons and daughters. Figure it out. Sign up for a Canacook father-son retreat. Look at Christian ministries. If you're in other parts of the world or the nation where there, there's a, a ministry doing a father-son retreat, maybe a church is. And if there's not, then just go do it yourself. Go get a cabin, figure out a few fun things in the area, schedule some activities, put some planning into it, but make sure you laugh a lot. You just go have some adventures. Maybe this is something you could rally a few other dads with sons about the same age or daughters about the same age. Go spend that time. Take it off. Schedule it off. Block off your calendars and just prioritize that time so that you can, as a shepherd, Really be aware of what's going on, swift and accurate. That's going to help you so much in that capacity, but also just deepening those relationships with these really precious kiddos that are put in our lives. Shay, is there anything else that you would just tack on to that? Well, I tell you what God's putting on my heart, and maybe there's just one person out there that needs to hear this, but I think we need to be gracious with others and choose humility ourselves. Mm. So gracious in that there's no sense in judging somebody who's starting over. Yep. When you're born again, you're a baby. And 
there's a lot to learn and that's okay. It's actually worth celebrating. And we get to, not only are those that are born again, free from the shame of the sin of their past, but also their shortcomings as a husband and a dad. So we need to be gracious. And then I think the other key is just personally is to choose humility. Yeah. Humility precedes growth. And I just want to be that guy. I want to be teachable and able to be corrected. There's too much at stake not to be. Yeah. That's great perspective. And the thing that comes to my mind hearing you is that I think there might be some out there that need to also, in that humility, to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. To have that grace, because man, maybe you maybe you monkeyed it up a little bit when you were figuring it out as a new dad, and and you're beating yourself up about it. I would just lay that at the foot of the cross and be gracious with yourself and move forward and move better. Mm-hmm. I felt that way sometimes when I just look at the mistakes I've made as a dad. We're gonna make them. You might as well know it's gonna happen, but we want to learn from them and get better. But sometimes we just need to have grace on ourselves. Couldn't agree more. Well, Shay, I really appreciate your time. If if some of our audience wanted to learn more about you or your ministry, is there any way that they could do that? Sure. They can go to kanakuk.com, K-A-N-A-K-U-K.com. If there's anything I could personally do, you can email me, Shay, S-H-A-Y, at kanakuk.com. All right. Well, Shay, thank you so much for your time. I, I deeply appreciate it. I'm grateful for the ministry that you're performing out there in the Ozarks, and Hopefully I'll see you again before too long. That sounds great. Thank you, Andy. All right. Bless you, Shay. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.